This episode includes a conversation about suicide, so please keep that in mind before you listen. If you or someone you know needs help, please call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. Hello, Denver, Colorado! It's Beautiful Anonymous. One hour. One phone call. No names. No holds barred. I'd rather go one-on-one I think it'll be more fun And I'll get to know you And you'll get to know me Hi everybody, Chris Gethard here. You're about to hear a call that we recorded live on stage in Denver last year. That was a really good show. We added a deli across the street that was Jersey-themed. That's how I do it. I travel anywhere in the country and I can find the Jersey-themed food option. Denver's a great town. It was so fun to be back. Thanks to my friend Andrea Quinn who comes on the road and does the uh, audio on the road at, at a lot of these traveling shows. Very fun times. If you're saying to yourself, live show, laughs, that has a live energy. I'd like to do a go see a live show sometimes. Well, guess what? We got live shows coming up. I got stand-up happening May 4th, 5th, 6th, 7th. Most of those are in Florida. And then our first live tapings back May 13th in Durham, North Carolina. May 14th in Asheville. May 19th in Pittsburgh, May 20th in Ann Arbor, May 21st in Grand Rapids. Let's pack these shows out. ChrisGeth.com for tickets, everybody. Okay, enough plugs. This episode you're about to hear, this was a crazy one in general, really crazy one to do live. You know, the live shows, we find ways to make them entertaining. That that live crowd gets on board, but everybody knows with Beautiful Anonymous, we never know which way these calls are going to go. Sometimes partway through, they turn on a dime and turn from one thing to another. This call has a lot of entertaining parts, but it also has some parts that are honestly shocking, pretty jaw-dropping. Um, I mentioned, you know, we put a, a trigger warning about suicide, and that's true, but there's also... A, a lot of stuff about certain types of relationships and sexual liaisons that 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 might um, mess with people's heads too. But but what I do know is that this caller has figured out a lot through life due to situations where where people who were supposed to protect her put her in bad situations, and because of that, decided to just take some chances and some big swings, and has gone all over the world and. And has become who she is and landed where she's landed and is living the life she's lived because of all these things. It's a really hard call to describe, as you can hear. And it's one that I think back on, I go, wow, like, right? Sometimes it's easy. Last week, it was just, hey, identical twins. They were funny, charming, energetic, identical twins. And this week, I go, I don't even know how to tell you what this one is. But I really think a lot of people might get something out of it. And the caller was really brave and, and bold in, in sharing this all with us. Enjoy it. Thank you for calling Beautiful Anonymous. A beeping noise will indicate when you are on the show with the host. Hello? Hey, what's up? How's it going? Oh my gosh, is this Chris? Yeah, it's Chris. How are you? Oh my gosh, I got through. This is crazy. It's Chris and... I'm great. It's the Oriental Theater in Denver, Colorado as well. I know. I love Colorado. It's my favorite. So awesome. Hello, everybody. I will tell you, third time's a charm. I have... This is my third time for your live shows to get through, and now I'm through. 
I'm just so, this is crazy. Nice. Well, I'm psyched you got through. How are you? I am good. It's Friday. Um, I have a four-year-old and a two-year-old who um, are watching a movie right now. I'm like, I might have a very important call. You need to stay out there and give me some space. So we'll see if they follow through with that. So they got extra screen time tonight because of the show. That's cool. Well, Fridays are our movie nights, so it's kind of like our tradition, but I think they should be good, hopefully. What kind of movies do your kids like? Because my kid thinks movies is just Pixar's cars. (laughs) It's really adorable. (laughs) We will say in front of him, like, hey, maybe we should have a movie tonight, like movie night tonight, and he will literally look at us and go, I'll watch cars. So that was my daughter with Lilo and Stitch for about six months, and now... She's she's not a princess person. She likes Lilo and Stitch. She likes Moana. And then just like random Netflix series of TV shows. It's never very exciting. It's like, let's watch something new. And it's you just don't get that with kids. We tried Lilo and Stitch and it went over Cal's head. He's a little too young. We tried Moana and he got scared. Because I think in the early scenes, there's maybe a near drowning. Okay. So he's scared of water. Does he like bath time? He get, surprise, surprise. My son is a sensitive boy, it turns out. <laughs> <laughs> Big shocker. Yeah. Well, I hope that they're good. I hope they're good and that this uh, this call, we get to really hash it out because I know as a parent how valuable time is. So I appreciate it. Yes. And I, you know, I feel like I've been trying to get in since 2014, 2015. I have a lot to talk about. Before the show even existed, you've been trying to call. <laughs> Sorry, Wait. I had to. 2016. Chris. <laughs> 2016. Okay. So I was like one of the first listeners and I have tried and tried um, to get on. So I'm, I'm very excited to be here tonight. Nice. Well, what do you want to talk about? So I just want to kind of give you a recap of just a whole array. I swear I have such a crazy life. And then whatever, I mean, really whatever you want to focus in on. So to start, I grew up in the South, Texas. Texas is huge. So you can never really guess where I'm from. Um, but raised in a small town, um, had a great childhood until my teenage years. My mom still started drinking a lot. She started, um, sleeping with my friends, with people I was really close to and went to college. Everything kind of settled down and she ended up killing herself. So that happened a year later. My Mimi died, who was her mom. And that same day I found out my dad who raised me wasn't my biological father. <laughs> so shit hit the fan. Sorry, Sally. Um, and I was, I myself was really struggling. So I had some friends who were living in Spain, teaching English abroad. I went to visit them. And then about six months later, I packed up my life, sold everything I had and moved to Thailand, got robbed within the first um, week of $3,000, all the money I had, and still somehow managed to stay there for a year. Moved to Italy, completely refound myself, and now I'm married with my two kids. So my life has done a complete 360, but a lot of crazy shit has happened between then and now. I tell you what, five minutes in, you've you've certainly laid a lot of track. (laughs) I know. Well, I'm sorry. I mean, that to be to to deal with all that tragedy, let alone at that age, uh, really brutal. So I'm so sorry you had to go through all that. Yeah, you know, I never really knew that suicide even existed growing up. You know, like you would get sad about like a boyfriend, and then 
when she did that, I was 20, I think I was 22. And it was like, oh, wow, like people actually do this. So <clears throat> it was really awakening for me. And I have, I've gotten really involved in like um, American Foundation for Suicide Prevention and just like a lot of mental health stuff because it is real. And I, I struggle and I think I've struggled my whole life, but I never really knew until she, um, until she passed. So, and that's a, a, one of the big reasons I listen to you because you're so, you're such an advocate for mental health. So I really appreciate that um, a lot. Well, thanks. And now, first of all, again, so it's just super sad. Those stories are always sad. Um, the AFSP is a great organization. I've done some work for them. I also can tell you, I don't know if you're in the mood to laugh thinking about this topic, but one of the most humiliating moments of my entire life is related to the AFSP. And that is saying a lot because I've, I've had some humiliating moments. I don't know if you want to hear about it. Yes, of course. So they have like a big annual gala in New York City, and it's in this building that has like floor-to-ceiling glass windows that overlook Central Park. Like it's fancy stuff. Like this is one of these New York City things where they're trying to bring out like the big money spenders to donate cash. And they asked mm-hmm. me to host it, and I was flattered and I was scared. I said yes. I went and did it, and it was like the speakers were like a, a United States congressman and an Olympic swimmer. And all these, oh, people, wow. you know, people who had lost people, people who had like worked on legislation, people who had dealt with struggles themselves. It was really intense. And before the event, they had um, a silent auction where you walk around and they're getting people to like bid on all these things. And I was kind of perusing the items there. And this couple, they were a younger couple, they came up to me and they were like, hey, would you mind taking a picture? And I said, of course. And I put my arm around the young lady and faced the man. And then he said, no, I was hoping you could take a picture of us. And I said, oh, yeah, that's, yeah, that's kind of embarrassing. I said, yeah, yeah, I can take a picture of you. I'm so sorry about that. And they were like, no problem, man. And it was weird. It was weird behavior on my part. And then I got up and hosted the gala. And I mentioned it, and I was like, man, I thought if there was any place where I might be known, it would be a suicide prevention gala I was hosting in, like, my home turf of New York City. No such luck. I was just an oh, asshole. Wow. I was just an asshole who tried to get in on your fucking Instagram. And your picture. Yeah, I'm just here yeah, trying to crowd out your Instagram. I'm sorry. No, you don't have to be sorry about anything. It was uh, very egotistical of me. And I mean, if there's one place where I need to get knocked down a peg, it's at a suicide prevention gala. Yes, that'll definitely put you in place. Those, yeah. They're very healing though, right? Just to like be involved in any of that stuff. It's really intense. It's like a really hard experience, but it's very, it's very healing. Very meaningful. And to be in a room of other people who are all connected to it in some way makes you realize, um, you know... I think everything that relates to suicide is like infested with loneliness. If you're a person who struggles with those feelings, it's very lonely. If you lose someone to it, it's very, very lonely. Um, I think a lot of the activists who work in that world find it to be a very lonely and daunting thing. It's such Mm -hmm. an uphill climb. So to get everybody in a room together and realize like, oh, this isn't a solitary pursuit is actually, like you said, very healing, very much so. Yeah. And it's a real thing. And I mean, just for everybody who's there, it's not worth it. I promise the people left behind, even if you feel like they hate you, they don't. So 
I mean, my mom slept with my boyfriend growing up. I didn't hate her. She did some terrible things. And, you know, I miss her to this day. She was just struggling, you know? Everybody has their own personal battles that they deal with. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So let me ask you, how'd you land on, on Thailand? You said you had some friends teaching English there? So I had friends that were in Spain. And I fell in love with Spain. I loved Europe. Um, but I talked to advisors because I ended up getting like my certification to teach English abroad. And they said, well, you know, Asia is the best route to go for your first time. And I researched Thailand. It was known as the land of smiles. And honestly, I just said, okay, let's go there. So I flew in and there by myself and it was crazy. Such a culture shock. So wait, you went because of what was clearly like a tourist board generated catchphrase? <laughs> yes. Let's pause right there. It's time for some ads. And kudos to that tourist board. They generated a catchphrase and it actually worked. That must be nice for somebody out there to hear that their hard work actually paid off. Hey, we'll be right back. Thanks to all of our advertisers. Now let's get back to the phone call. So wait, you went because of what was clearly like a tourist board generated catchphrase? Yes. So like, I knew I wanted to go somewhere in Asia. I'm like, oh, everybody's smiling and happy there. Okay, I'll go there. So like in the same way that New Jersey came up with like the garden state or like New Jersey and you perfect yes. together. You've always got a friend in Pennsylvania. Virginia is for lovers. Thailand, the land of smiles. And next thing you know, your entire there life has turned around. Man, they got their money's yeah. worth out of whoever they paid to make that phrase up. <laughs> and let me just tell you, they were like, they are great people. It was, um, it was the hardest nine months of my life because I flew into Bangkok. I met somebody who was from the States and she ended up moving to a different town than I ended up moving to teach. But within my first two weeks there, I got robbed of all my money. Yeah, talk to me about that. So I was that. on OkCupid, this random, you know, I'm sure y'all have heard of OkCupid. It's like the ghetto version of Tinder. Went out with this guy from Belgium, and he was really rude to the wait staff. And I said, you know, I'm not doing this. So he, but he checked in on me every day. So I was like, we'll just be friends. Um, and I got robbed when I was out on this party road, drunk. Um, somebody slashed my purse and took everything that I had, my phone, all my money. And my family at the time wasn't talking to me because of the whole dad situation. So I ended up logging into OkCupid on my computer and found this guy. And I said, Hey, I just got robbed. I don't know what to do. So he came and picked me up from my hostel and I lived with him for two months. This completely random stranger paid for all of my food got me a pillow, got me all the necessities that you need to live until I found a job. <clears throat> and then I moved to a random village and was probably one of the only Americans or white people that spoke English there. So I was forced to kind of face my demons head on. So the Belgian guy you went on a date with was, it, was a dickhead to the waitstaff and you were like, I'm not feeling it. And then he bought you a pillow and you lived in his house. <laughs> yes. Exactly what happened. I mean, he was rude to the waitstaff, but then he just kind of took care of me. And we always joked like, okay, if we're not married by 
30, we're going to marry each other just for citizenship because he wanted to come here and I wanted to go to Europe. I have to ask. But now I'm married, so. Oh, you are? He's not the father of your children then? He is not the father of my children. Okay. Are you still in touch? No, he's, um, no. I, he's kind of, I, I feel like he did some shady things to get money. He was a Muay Thai fighter. Um, and then when I moved back to the U.S., he was kind of trying to be more than friends and I wasn't about it. I want you to know that we are in Denver tonight and you are now at a tipping point where every time you list a new specific about your life, the crowd starts giggling because it's just so much. I also think a lot of them maybe ate edibles, but... It's a lot. I mean, I went to counseling after my mom passed and she was like, I mean, this is a lot. And this was before everything with Thailand and everything else happened. So, I mean, every day, it's just kind of a new adventure for me. It's never a dull moment. The Muay Thai fighter rescues you. Did you ever, have you ever, um, have you, have you ever tracked down what was going on with your dad? Yeah. So, my, I, I recently actually just had this conversation with my dad who raised me, who will always, you know, always be my dad. Because I had never, I've known for seven years that he wasn't my biological, but I've never fully talked to him because when I asked it, it just set off a whole domino effect. And a lot of the people in my family don't talk to me anymore because they thought I was being disrespectful. But in reality, I just wanted to know my blood, you know, for health reasons and for many reasons. So my mom got pregnant with me. Um, she was staying with her aunt and uncle because I think she, it was, you know, back in the eighties, if anybody drank too much, you're off in rehab. And my mom was raised in a Baptist home. So she clearly had issues in their mind. So she got pregnant, um, moved back to Kansas, met my dad when she was four months pregnant, who raised my dad, who raised me. And he just went for it. Didn't even question like, oh, she's pregnant. And he just decided he was going to raise me. Like, okay, what a great person, right? I cannot believe it. So when I found out, um, my mom's cousin had been tracking my biological father for all these years. He was in prison. Um, He had done drugs. He had done some child abuse to my younger sibling, who's my half sibling. And so he was in prison and I wrote him a letter kind of saying like, hey, this is who I am. I'd like to just get to know you, um, you know, who, who, who you are, basically. And I was in church one Sunday. I hadn't heard back. It had been like two months. And I said, okay, you know, I'm just going to write this letter saying goodbye because clearly he doesn't want anything to do with me. It's okay. I kind of already accept, accepted it. So I heard like something tell me he does not know what love is. And I'm a firm believer in God. And I feel like it was God telling me he does not know what love is. The next day I went to mail this letter and I had created a, P- a PO box because I was kind of scared. Like he's in prison. I, you know, I don't know what he's about. I don't want him having my actual address. And there was a letter from him. And the first sentence was, I'm sorry. I don't know what love is. I was never taught love because he was growing up in an abusive, abusive home. And we're in touch to this day. I mean, he just came to Thanksgiving with my family. Your dad was in prison? Yeah. He was in prison. He's been out for three or four years. Um, he's met my kids. He's clean now. Um, his brother, so my uncle, we have a relationship and they just, he just came, my biological father came to Thanksgiving with my family who lives in my home 
and my mother-in-law and my sister who I was raised with. And yeah, it wasn't weird at all. It's just crazy how life happens. And you know, my big thing is I, he's, he's alone. He doesn't have any of his immediate family alive anymore. His kids who are alive don't like him because of all the shit he did while they were growing up. And I feel like I, I didn't have to experience that because I was raised in a great family until my mom started drinking. So I just want to give him the kindness and the grace that he probably has never gotten in his life. Damn. That's a real level of forgiveness right there. And understanding and compassion. That's what, you know, that's how we're supposed to be, I think. <laughs> you never, you know, I, I just, I live by, I'm not the one to judge. So I think it's easier because I didn't have to grow up with him. I think if I had grown up with him, it would have been a lot harder, but my kids love him. Um, I would never leave them with him alone, but um, he's there for me when I need him. So I kind of have two dads now. And my my, bio, my dad who raised me, we didn't talk for a couple of years, but we've came around full circle um, and he's okay with it. And they even, I was on FaceTime with my dad who raised me and he said hi to my biological dad, which I kind of just put them on the spot and they're like, oh, hey. So that was probably awkward for them, but yeah, it's just all kind of worked out now. So let me ask you this because you've meant, you know, you had your mom, your mom fell into some real chaos. Your mom slept with your boyfriend. Your mom took her own life. Your dad who raised you, you find out is not your biological father. This is a shock to you. Now you're in touch with your biological father. He's in prison for some really, it sounds like not pleasant things. Um, I got to ask, like, I say this with, with genuine curiosity and no judgment at all because I'm somebody who my mom and dad are still married and I'm very, very lucky, but pretty simple as far as like the nuclear family goes. And I sit here and think about how to raise a toddler and I'm scared every day and I feel like I don't know how it works and I put pressure on myself and it messes with me more than I can explain and I had it pretty stable growing up. And an example from my parents that I can really lean on, you're a parent now, two young ones, had a, a, pretty, a pretty tumultuous path to get there. It makes, it makes me wonder, thinking about your past, how you view parenting. My, my, my feeling is like, maybe you're like me where all that anxiety is there. Or maybe you've seen and done so much stuff that you're just like 10 times more at ease parenting than I am. But I really wonder how you feel about that side of things. So I think that kind of our generation as a whole, we're more aware because I've had conversations with my dad, like, were you worried about this? Were you, about, were you worried about that? And he's like, no, I'm like, okay, well, I'm worried about everything. Um, my parents didn't start fighting in front of me until I was 15 or 16. So I have two younger siblings. Um, they have a lot more issues than me because they were so much younger when everything started to happen. But growing up, my mom was the best mom ever. Everything was a big deal. Birthdays, Christmas, like she always made you feel so special. So I really just kind of hone on, hone into the positives of her. Um, my marriage isn't perfect. We're constantly struggling. My husband has his own mental health issues, severe OCD, which is a whole nother battle on its own. Um, but he, my husband has OCD, like severe OCD. So it's a constant battle and it's, 
like when you have two kids and then I essentially feel like I'm taking care of him all the time. It's hard, but I, I don't, I think all parents always are worrying if they're good enough. But when you hear your kids say that they love you or my daughter draws pictures of me and her at school and it, you know, you just, you'd know you're doing right. Um, I'm far from perfect, but I think my mom, all the bad aside, she really taught me how to be a great, a great parent. My dad worked a lot, so he wasn't really around much. Um, so all my credit goes to my mom, even though she did some really messed up stuff. When she passed, her and I were on really good terms. So thankfully, I don't have to live with any of that guilt or regret. I have to ask now, now um, you know, we have the live crowd, so people can send along comments and thoughts. And first of all, just so you know, a lot of people here in the crowd tonight wishing you the best, sending their condolences for a, a lot of the loss you've laid out. But Katie in the crowd said something that I'm in total agreement with. The fact that you've laid out that you're, because you, I'm not wrong in this, right? You said your mom slept with your boy, you said friends, and then you said your boyfriend? Mm-hmm. Yes. So it was a secret relationship um, that because my mom did not want us to be together. And looking back, I see why she didn't want us to be, be together. So I think in the beginning, he was focused on me. And then my mom kind of started, anybody that I showed any interest in, in she started to mess around with them. Um, so she was arrested twice when I was in high school. Um, the first time was on my birthday. And I didn't find out until, so I, my birthday's in March. And then the second time was in May. I didn't find out until May the second time that she was arrested on my birthday. And again, it's a small town. My dad knows people on my birthday. They let her out for PI, public intoxication. And then the second time she was pulled over outside of city limits. So she was in jail. My dad had to go bail her out. And that kind of all hit me. And I said, get her out of the house. She needs to go. Like she needs to solve her alcohol problems. Like she has some serious issues. And it took me a really long time to forgive her because I had all these schools or all these school plans after graduation because it was my senior year of high school. And I put all those on hold so I could stay home with my family and help with my sisters. And my dad just let her back in the house. Like it was not a big deal at all. Um, So I actually ended up reading this book called The Shack. I don't know who it's by, but it's all about God and forgiveness. And after I read that book, I forgave both of them and I slowly and surely started to build a relationship relationship back with my mom. And it was hard. I never thought I, I hated her. I have to say, and, and again, it, I'm not confused by it. Everything you've laid out is so clear and, and so beautiful. But for me to say, you know, how do you feel about parenting? And your answer to be like, well, my mom was an incredible mom and you're focusing on the years when she was, and you're able to, in the same breath, then go, yeah, here's the story with how she used to hit on my boyfriends. I had a secret relationship. She got with that guy. She was getting arrested. I had to put my dreams on pause to stay in the house to look out for my siblings. But at the same time, you can also be totally meaningful. Katie on, on Twitter sent me a message that said, her compassion is astonishing. And I think that that is totally true. And wants to know, where do you feel your grace under pressure first came from? Honestly, I, I don't know. Um, just a higher power. I, again, I, I believe in God. I know that all don't, but it, I, it wasn't me. And that's, what's just crazy is that this book about this, this book, the shack 
talks about the Holy Spirit, Jesus, and God all in one. And it's all about forgiveness because this guy um, is at the park with his two kids. One of his kids gets stolen and is murdered. And he has to learn to forgive this person. And so my to- my story is totally different than what he experienced. But, you know, it's life's too short not to forgive. Um, as hard as it is, I mean, and it's hard. <laughs> it was not easy. It took me years to forgive her. But I'm so happy I did because she was struggling. And I think when people hurt, they hurt others and they don't mean to, um, especially when alcohol and drugs are involved. It just gets rocky and rough. And so I... I don't do drugs. I try to stay away from alcohol. And if I do drink, it's like one or two drinks because I don't ever want to be that person to my spouse or my kids because my mom did a lot of damage. And my sisters are still dealing with it because they just, they won't face it. They won't face the reality of what happened. Just, you know, Ashley says, um, girl is the most common collected human ever and has lived through eight lifetimes of trauma. Um, and then Jenna asks a question that, is, you know, it's kind of the TMZ side of thing, especially in the face of such a beautiful message that you just laid out. But I am, all, I'm, I am very tempted and I need to know the answer as well. Jenna asks, what's that ex who got with your mom up to now? <laughs> so he is actually married with two kids. Um, that's all I know. He was older than me and his brother and I graduated in the same class. So every once in a while, I kind of peep in to see what he's doing, but yeah. pisses me off, to be honest, more than anything else that he's living this happy life, but whatever. You'll hit up okay. the Facebook to see his happy life and be like, fuck this dude. This <laughs> fucking guy Seriously, got with my mom. know what you did. This guy got with my well, fucking mom. Let me mom. say, so my cousin, um, who, so my dad who raised me, his sister's son had an affair with my mom. And that is one person I don't think I will ever find grace for. I haven't been to a family Christmas with him since my mom passed. After she passed, um, he sent me a message the day after her funeral and said I needed to get my shit together and put on my big girl pants and be the woman figure for my family. And he, to this day, does not know that we know he slept with my mom. So this Christmas is my first year being back. My mom passed away in 2013 to actually spend Christmas with my family. I will not be spending the Christmas part with him because I will lose it on him and I'll probably fight him and it'll cause a lot of drama. I will never be able to forgive him. Can you even like, are you even entertained by movies or TV shows? Like, is there any <laughs> drama or action movie that you yes, watch? Yes, I love drama shows. No, no way. I feel like you must watch all of them and be like, where is the conflict here? Like, where's... I don't get why these people aren't struggling through anything right now. <laughs> That's why, you know, I try to share my story as much as possible because I think most people can relate on some aspects. Like, there's so many parts and I don't really understand why all of this happened to me. But it did. Um, so I just try to share when I can to hopefully help somebody along the way. I mean, I've never been, no, I've never had a Belgian Muay Thai fighter buy me a pillow, you know? <laughs> never had that happen. Yeah. I mean, Thailand was great, but let me just say Italy. So I was in Thailand for nine months. I completely healed, moved to Italy, um, found this girl who went to the same college as me the same time. We never knew each other. 
if I was lesbian, I would be married to her. She is my soulmate. I love her so much. Um, and the three months of Italy, it was the best, most fun time of my entire life. I met 10 different girls from all over the country. And to this day, we stay in contact. And that's when I really just kind of became me again um, and knew what was important in life. And to, to this day, even when things are bad, like in marriage or at work, I always try to focus back in on that happy me I found in Italy. And that's what's important because life is too short to not focus on the happy parts. I, gotta, I have to learn a lot from you. I get stressed out by literally nothing. I get stressed out by nothing. I sit here and build myself into full-blown panic attacks, and I don't throw that phrase around lightly, sitting there going, what if I someday lose my health insurance? Because I have it right now. Meanwhile, you're like, no, just take off to Italy, meet a crew of 10 women who are your sisterhood, lean on them forever. And anytime you go to a dark place, remember who you were in those moments. Also, your dad's out of jail, so reconnect. Why not? (laughs) It's not as easy as you just said it, though. You know, like there's still struggles. The goddamn Um, bullet points are the most impressive thing I've ever heard. (laughs) I know that this is a long tale and has had many ups and downs, but just the bullet points that you're laying out are like the most beautiful tale of resilience that I've ever heard in my life. Thank you, Chris. I appreciate it. (laughs) Thank you. I've done nothing except sit on a stool and listen to this. Wow. Okay. Very important question that has come up in the crowd from Matthew. How did you meet your current partner? Because I that because now and listen, like we're both parents of you said a four year old and a two year old, a four year old and a one year old. I don't know why I said he was two because you just turned one. I think I was just nervous. That's okay. How dare you? That's so fucked up. I'm gonna hang up on you. <laughs> you got you got your own child's age up by one. Um, but it is. I will say, like I used to be pretty cool, man. And like this jacket is from when I was cool and it does not fit my personality anymore. I'm wearing like a pink denim jacket on stage color because it makes me feel confident. But it's from, it's from like five or six years ago when I used to be cool and live a cool life. When you're the parent <laughs> of a toddler, like life is not exciting. I imagine for you being in a settled life, there must be such joy in that. But I also have to wonder, how'd you meet a partner? How'd you settle down after this very, very tumultuous existence? That's a big question, right? At the end of the day, that's what this show is. We all are out here living this tumultuous existence. We gotta figure out how to find our partners and our friends and our allies in the process. We'll find out how this caller did it when we return. Okay, everybody, we are back, and I wanted to give you a heads up. I had a few technical issues uh, out there on the road. Very unpredictable when you're out there on the road. So guess what? I sound a little weird for the last few minutes of the call. Okay. Excuse the sound issues. Let's finish up the phone call. When you're the parent of a toddler, like life is not exciting. I imagine for you being in a settled life, there must be such joy in that. But I also have to wonder, how'd you meet a partner? How'd you settle down after this very, very tumultuous existence? So I moved back to the States and my plan was I was never, ever going to live here long-term again. So I moved back in with my dad started waitressing and then I found this job. Um, it stated it was in Texas. It was for roof sales, you know, like the jobs you see on Indeed, like make $300,000 in your first year. And I knew that wasn't true, but I was like, what, what do I have to lose? Nothing. So they flew me to Minnesota. I was in training with um, four or five guys 
the trainer guy, the owner of the roof sales company, wouldn't even make eye contact with me. It was really frustrating because I'm a people person. So I can sell things, you know, like I can connect with people. I'm great at this. And he like had no faith in me. So we did this training. They ended up pairing us, some people off to different areas of um, wherever the storms were. And the first day there, um, I needed a ride because everyone else was from Minnesota and I wasn't. So I had flown in and this guy said, oh, I'll give you a ride. And so the next couple of days, he gives me rides. He gives me a ride to the airport. And I was like, oh, you know, this guy is cool. Um, I'm not looking for anything. I'm trying to move back overseas, but he's nice. They ended up pairing us to go to North Dakota together. So within the first week or two, I was like, I really like him. I don't really like people very often, especially after everything I've gone through. I don't have time for that. I don't have time for drama. And I told him because he was about not. to leave to go I back. I just need to agree and say, <laughs> you do not have time for drama. Like the drama clock <laughs> ran out for you very early yeah, in your like, life. Like, yes, true. Yeah, no. True. So he's like, I'm going to go back to Minnesota. I'm not doing this. And so I was like, well, um, I think I like you. And he said, oh, as a friend? I said, no, not as a friend, as more than a friend. And he said, okay, well, you know, I think I like you too. And then we hugged and he got in his car and left. And so about an hour later, he called me and said, I can't leave. I'm turning around. Um, And we've been together ever since. The first year or two was great. Again, he has mental illness. It's really hard to cope with somebody who has it. So I'm still fighting. I'm still trying to hope that he um, finds his way. And I think he will. It's just he, he needs a lot of push. And he's been through a lot of traumas as well. So we got married shortly, maybe a year later. And then we had our daughter. And I told him, I hate Minnesota. I'm sorry if any of y'all are from Minnesota, but it sucks. It's terrible. It's not the South. And I, I'm, not a, I'm not a fan. Nobody would be friends with me, and I have made friends all over the world. Wow. really hurt my feelings. So we came back to Texas. A stunning condemnation of Minnesota. You just expressed more anger at Minnesota than the boyfriend who slept with your mom. You've forgiven him more than the state of Minnesota. Yes. Because, let me just say, my in-laws are the best people ever. I love them, and if anything ever happened with me or my husband we would still, they would be my lives forever because they're amazing. But I could not make friends with anybody. The only two friends, we lived there for two years. Only two friends I made were from California and Wisconsin. No Minnesotans wanted to be friends with me. I think I speak for this crowd when I say there is an unresolved anger here that is shocking considering the amount of resolution you have bulldozed <laughs> your way through in life. I, it's, it's shocking. I mean, we are 36 minutes into one of the darkest stories I've heard in close to 300 episodes of doing this. You have expressed anger over nothing except the lack of friendliness in Minnesota, <laughs> a place where I have been many times and found people to actually be overly friendly to a degree that makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> Chris, it's called Minnesota Nice. They don't want to be friends with you. They're just being nice to you because they have to because they're so passive. And my husband hates Texas. He hates it. He's like, you guys are so blunt. I can't stand it. I'm like, that's what makes us great. Like, we're not fake. If we don't like you, you're going to know we don't like you. And he's like, no, I'm not about that. I hate it. So Minnesotans just want everybody to think they like them. And then they just kind of talk about you behind your back. I am not the only one. I am hearing the reactions of the crowd. 
all of us were looking at you as like the high watermark paragon of forgiveness, um, finding ways to move on from the things that trouble you in life. And yet the venomous slander of the land of a thousand lakes is so real and so unresolved. And I just hope you can get over it someday. You got to read that book about the Holy Spirit again. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, just be, be nice to me and be, wow. be my friend. It's not that hard. I mean, I, after maternity leave, I'd go into Target, you know, just trying to chat up the cashier because I'm alone and bored and I have this two-month-old baby and I haven't been out of the house because it's the dead of winter. And I would try to make small talk and they would look, like, they would look at me like I was an idiot. Have you ever been to New Jersey or New York City? I have. Um, and I couldn't, I mean... I just, I don't know if I could do it, but I've lived in Thailand and Italy. I mean, come on. Those are crazy culture shocks. If you, and I can make friends with them. If you need to live in a place where you're like people make friends with you and cashiers slow down to have talks, skip Jersey, just skip Jersey. You would hate it so much. You would hate it so much. Yeah. I think I'm going to stay with the South. My, my friendly people down here who they meet you once and invite you over for dinner. What about other people who were like, stop chatting up? In Jersey, here's what would happen in Jersey. Everyone behind you would be like, stop talking to the cashier. We got shit to do and places to be. And it would just be a nightmare. It would be a nightmare. I would just walk away and feel really uncomfortable. It's fair. Um, I don't really, I confront people, but only when I'm really passionate about something. Like at work, when I don't agree with something, I'm, I'm very vocal, but I always try to be like respectful because I'm in HR. Um, so, I mean, I'm, I'm vocal, but if it's something small, I'm not going to argue about it unless I'm really passionate. Caller, there's some really shocking stuff coming in on the hashtag right now. Christopher, Christopher says, caller is totally right. Minnesota is just a humid, giant mosquito ridden hellhole. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you. Now, Erin brings something up. Erin Kate says, 10 bucks says there's someone here tonight from Minnesota. Clap if you're from Minnesota. Oh, yeah, there's a few <laughs> furious Minnesotans here tonight. Ma'am, you were just clapping. I said, how do you feel about this caller's shocking accusations? I heard one quiet boo from the back and everyone else from Minnesota was too polite to get involved. Janae is coming to their defense. Janae is saying, the worst thing Minnesotans do is like chain restaurants. Give them a break. (laughs) Mike says, wow, if this is true about Minnesota, all of Canada is the worst. (laughs) One of my friends from Italy was from Canada. So she and she was great. Um, Kelly agreeing with you. Everyone's this Minnesota thing is exploding. Randy says the caller has finally found her boundary and it is fucking Minnesota. Uh, uh, Oh my God. So many Minnesota comments. Siani might be from Minnesota. Put in caps. Tejas ain't that nice either. Katie uh, fairly asks me, Chris, why do you know every state slogan? Fair. Touche. Point taken. And uh, Ghoulie Spooklier says, I guess don't move to Colorado. We're nice to everyone. Caller, who knew that that was going to be one of the most turbocharged parts? <laughs> I'm really thrilled that you landed on your feet, and I'm really glad that those kids got a mom like you. I feel like you're going to make sure that there's a tight ship for them. And 
but they got a, a good stable life. Yep, that's my goal for sure. Oh no, I'm about to get you really mad. Oh no. Denver, clap if you agree with me. If someone said to you based on accent, is the person we're talking to from Minnesota or Texas? If those were my options, the majority of us would guess that you're from Minnesota. You. Me? No. No. I think it's because I've lost my accent. So when I met my husband, he said, you sound like you're definitely from Texas. My family, Mm -hmm. super, super Southern accents. I think mine has, I think I've lost it. I am definitely not from Minnesota. I am born in Kansas, even though I do not claim Kansas. If you ask my husband, he's going to say she's Kansan, Kansan or whatever you call it. No, I'm a Texan. I don't care that I wasn't born there. I'm a Texan. I love Texas to death. I I mean, from episode one of this show, everybody knows that Texas is, um, Texas is a, a shockingly, strange and and in many ways wonderful place although i do have to say as i'm giving big ups to texas here's what i love about texas i love the art that comes out of texas i love that you can drive for a very long time in texas and not see a chain restaurant um i love that there's times where you'll drive for hours in texas and then all of a sudden realize you're like in the middle of a small town that has a general store that still has like a seven up sign from the 1960s hanging out up front i love that do have to just say before I get too in Texas that there's also a lot of concerning social stuff there right now. And, uh, and I, I don't know how you mm-hmm. feel about it. And I don't often go political on the show, but I can't sit here and say how much I love Texas without also saying that it's breaking my heart to see rights and women's rights being taken away. Uh, and I just need that for my own sanity. Yeah, there's definitely some weird shit happening here. You know, I um, I personally would never get an abortion, but at the end of the day, it's your choice. It is not our place to decide what somebody does. So um, we're very conservative here, and my family is extremely conservative. So when I moved down south to go to school, I took a culture class and went back home for Christmas, was telling my dad about it. And he said, I can't believe I'm paying for you to go to a liberal school. I'm like, what are you talking about? So my family totally thinks I'm super liberal. To be honest, I'm in, I'm in between on most things. Um, but my, you just don't ever want to be at Christmas with my family because all they talk about is politics and it's extremely annoying. We have it here. Deanna Elise says she sounds like a Texan to me, a person who was also born in Texas. My mom sounds just like her. So there's that. Um, now Chainsaw Travis disagrees. Chainsaw Travis, who contributes rarely, but with great impact, says, and I quote, she be talking like the movie Fargo. That's what Chainsaw Travis says. She be talking like the movie Fargo. Now, Destine is here from Dallas, uh, um, wants to know that another Texan has your back. And then I didn't know, I don't know if this is true or if this is just somebody messing with me. Um, Too fucking bad Tuesday. That's your name on Twitter. Sorry, Zoe says, people from Colorado fucking hate Texans? Is there a feud? Who knew that I walked into the middle of a regional feud? Caller, did you know that there's a feud between Coloradans and Texans? (laughs) No, I did not. But my aunt does live in Colorado and she she is not a fan of y'all. So I'm sorry. 
but I love Colorado and I've never had a problem with the people. I've had some great times in Colorado. I remember one time uh, being here and doing shows and having a whole day to kill and, um, and not knowing how to kill the day. And I'm someone who imbibes in substances once every eight years and edibles had just been legalized here. Cannabis had just been legalized. And I ate like a third of a pot cookie and watched a Star Wars movie in the theater many years ago. And what a fond memory that is. <laughs> Thank you, Colorado. Thank you for that one. Okay, we've gotten way off track. So we went to see Bruno Mars in Let's Colorado rest. at Red Rock. This was probably two years How- before my mom passed. And right when we got legalized there, me and my mom and my dad, after my sisters who were way younger, went to bed, got super stoned in my car, in my dad's car. And it was the funniest thing I've ever experienced because my dad is a psycho when he smokes the whole time sitting in the car, just because the car was on, we were listening to music. He was so scared that the police were coming to put us in jail and the girls were going to wake up without anybody in the hotel to take care of them. It was so crazy. First of all, that's a very funny image. And I feel like this entire crowd can envision a car of non-Coloradans getting paranoid and high after getting high at Red Rocks, which I feel like probably happens every time there's a concert at Red Rocks. If some people from out of state just get all fucked up and call the police on themselves because mm-hmm. they don't realize how strong the weed is going to be because it's legal now. Um, and just get on the phone with 911 and 911 is like, it's weed, just stop. Um, but here's something that jumps out at me is, <laughs> You know, you hear the story of what happened with your mom and you made it clear. You made it clear in such a beautiful way before, like those first 15, 16 years, she was a great mom. And and actually a lot of how you aim to be a mom, you're taken from that. Hear about how you and your dad lost touch for years, had to mend that fence. And you think of it where you could tell that story and we go, well, that's the story. This person who had this family life that hit these hard times and it fell apart. But then you also realize, oh, but then you still have that hilarious memory of you got old enough and your parents were smokers and you guys got high together one time. And you have that hilarious memory. And that memory is just as real as all the awful stuff, you know? Because it's just easier to focus on the good stuff. And I will say, like, the rest of my family, they won't talk about the hard times at all. Like, my sis- so my middle sister, I have a sister who's four years younger and the one that's six years younger. My middle sister, probably 10 months after my mom killed herself, which let me just say committed suicide is like not the term. So if y'all have ever used it, don't say it. Um, It's not politically correct. So my sister tried and I was at work and my dad called me and said, you know, your sister is on the way to the hospital. She's in the ambulance. We don't know if she's okay. She was slurring her words, whatever. So I had to go take care of her. Um, for probably two or three weeks. And I was the only one that could could connect with her. She had taken a whole bottle of ibuprofen. She probably weighed a hundred pounds and she's okay now. But, you know, two months later, when I found out about my dad not being my actual dad, she didn't talk to me for years, you know, even after I was the one that was there for her. So it's just very interesting how everybody handles um, just... PTSD and trauma and everything that comes along with suicide and just life in general. I agree with all of that. And I hear you. 
And I, it, I hate hearing that your sister went down that road too. I will say, I think one of our uh, attendees here tonight did get to the bottom of your accent. Someone I think really nailed your accent. Do you want to hear it? From OK Scott, who I think, yes, I think I now that OK Scott, now that I'm reading this, I'm like, that is exactly what it is. Her accent is a classic Texan moved to Thailand, spent time with the Belgians, spent time in Italy, and moved back to the States. That's your accent. That's your accent. <laughs> now, caller, yeah, there's a bunch of comics right. um, uh, comments coming in right now. Uh, oh, first of all, people are saying there's other terms that are okay, like lost their fight or took their lives, but phrases like committed suicide and killed themselves tend not to help. Katie, thank you for clarifying. Um, there's a few people asking, uh, there's, there's two questions or versions of them I see coming up a bunch. A lot of people want to know if you have had uh, any professional therapy to help your healing or anything akin to it. There's also a lot of people asking if any of these people in your life who you've mentioned have apologized to you for some of the stuff in the past. And those are kind of companion thoughts. So I wanted to put them out here because ultimately I think there's a lot of people who want to know more about the healing, some of the other people along the way, if they've apologized, some of the other actions you've taken, if there's been any. Um, so I wanted to put those out there. I've only got 10 minutes left. So... When I was in high school, when my mom started doing all these things, they tried to get me in therapy, and I said, hell no, I will, that is so stupid. Like, I'm not talking to somebody else. I was so against it. And then after she passed, my middle sister's friend's mom brought a therapist to our house, and my dad said, we're all meeting with this person, um, except for your, sister's, your sister, who her friend is the one who brought this. She doesn't want to. And so I said, fine. I'll do this. I'm wearing my sunglasses. I'm not looking at her. I don't want her to speak to me, but I'll stay here. So we're sitting there. She's talking to my dad. She's talking to my baby sister. And she looks at me and she says, so, you know, Whoops. sorry. We got I my name. I'm so sorry. that 845. Um, we will bleep the name and we will all magically forget it here in Denver. I've tried so hard. Oh my gosh. Anyways, she said, you know, I have been through, um, Something like this, my mom tried to do this um, many years ago, and she failed, and she lived to be so old, and, you know, I never forgave her. And I said, um, I said, that's not the same at all. So for a long time, I was really, really against therapy. And then I moved, and I went to school, and I, I realized I needed help um, because I was getting really suicidal, especially after finding out what my dad's stuff. Um, and I went, I saw a therapist for probably a year and a half. I got a medication, several medications, because one medication made me even worse and really, really ended up almost me taking my life. Um, and I stopped taking that and I found the one that worked for me. And now the only time I've really ever had to be back on medication, probably after a year of taking it continuously is after having my kids because I had really bad postpartum depression. Um, my dad said, sorry, a lot of his family members haven't and they, they won't. Um, but I, you know, I'm okay with that. And Thailand was a huge part of my healing as well. If you had to, uh, sum up why Thailand is a healing place and, uh, you know, we only have seven minutes. So, uh, I guess just in like a brief summation, why is, why was Thailand, why, how did Thailand do the trick? Because I had to face it all head on. I mean, I had one like really good friend there. She who was actually from Minnesota, 
Um, and she lived two hours away from me. So we didn't get to see each other often. And I was in a very, very small village. And I went to school, taught my kids and came home. And I mean, it was my mission being there to really work through my, my shit. So everything that I wanted to go through and work through, I wrote it down and I just faced it head on. And I moved there in the fall. I remember New Year's, we went to um, the coast, to the beach areas, and I had wrote letters to everybody who had ever hurt me. And I put them in a bottle and I threw them in the, threw them in the ocean. And as cliche as it sounds, it kind of just like released me of everything. And then I slowly but surely just started feeling like myself again because there were so many months where I was just crying in bed and just really feeling everything that I had gone through. Because for so long, I was just kind of numb because I was drinking a lot and not dealing with um, my pain. So it's just really important to deal with everything you go through because it's going to come back up. And the longer you wait, the worse it's going to get. And how about the, uh, we, we covered therapy. How about the, apolo- have you gotten any sweet apologies or are there some unresolved ones for that? We've heard about it. We've heard that you still, that you, you, you don't like that uh, the ex who dabbled with your mom, that's still out there. That's a sore point. You got that one relative who said some shitty stuff and you can't be around family gatherings because uh, any, any apologies come your way? Any resolutions that felt like they uh, closed some loops? So for that relative, um, no. And honestly, I will not put myself in a situation where I see him again just because I think that something will happen to him because um, he gets very suicidal around the whole, the whole thing that happened with my mom. So I will never put myself in that situation because I'm not going to be able to control myself. Um, my ex, we actually started talking again after I forgave them. Um, it's disgusting. I can't believe I ever would do that. But when you're young and your first love, you know, you just do things. And he ended up, he ended up forget for um, saying sorry. Um a couple of weeks after us talking and then it just kind of went away because you know everything that happened I just couldn't deal with it but he owned up for everything and I think he realized what he did was wrong but I don't know if it's like some fantasy of young men being with older women but there were probably 10 guys that I went to school with that slept with my mom um that I was pretty close with 10 guys you went to school with yeah there was one time I walked in to my house and she was making out with um this guy in my grade that there they were. And they, he just kind of saw me and left like it was nothing. That is, so that's like that. I mean, that is truly, that is, you know, that is, that is really dark. That is, yeah. It's fucked up. No, it's true. And it's addictive and it's self-destructive and it's destructive for you. And clearly all these guys, you know, all these, all those guys who are like, in the moment are also kids. It's messed up for them. That's, that is so dark. That is so dark. But I tell you what, we got a couple minutes left. I want to make sure I get some of the, um, some of these reactions because there's a few things coming in that I, uh, I want to make sure you hear. First of all, Beats, 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 Beats says, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. You are an inspiration. Um, we have Never Stray saying shout out to the caller's kids. Keeping themselves occupied for an hour without interrupting is impressive. Um, <laughs> we have Denise who, Denise who says, uh, this is the power of positive thinking. And I will say that one that's really jumping out to me, someone who has said some really silly things tonight, 
This made me giggle. Chainsaw Travis. Chainsaw Travis, the same person who said she be talking like she from Fargo. It's also the same person who said, we're glad you're still here. So I think that's... Thank you. That means a lot because there's been days where I don't know if I would have made it. But now that I have kids, as much as I struggle sometimes, I know how it feels. And they're your babies. You just can't do it. And that's what makes me really think my mom. She was completely wasted. She was like four times over the legal limit when when she did it. Um, And there's no way she would have done it, I think, if she was sober. So... Because how do you leave your kids behind? You know, Chris, you struggle. I mean, how could you ever leave your son behind? This little precious baby. Ooh, I mean, it's you couldn't. What a question to throw at me at the tail end, you know? But <laughs> I, uh, I tell you, I think about it all the time. Not to get too dark on a personal level, but it's like I've worked my whole life to chase certain thoughts away and to regulate certain thoughts, but they don't just turn off now that my son's here. That's not how life works. And actually, it would be incredibly unfair to him to pretend that that is how it works. But what does happen is it makes me want to work like a thousand times harder to chase them away. Because anytime I have a thought like that, now I just go, oh, man, there's so much cool shit I would miss. Mm -hmm. So it really is rooted in sickness and, like you said, a lack of sobriety and, and and. something being really irreparably damaged. And uh, to hear you to be able to say that when you lived through it is uh, really, really impactful. And yeah, I'm with you. Yeah. And just, you know, be honest with him. I'm also, I'm honest with my daughter. You know, I tell her my mom, she was sad and she had sickness in her brain. When she gets older, I'll explain, but she knows something was wrong with her. um, Even though she's only four. Because I think it's important. We're the generation that can make mental illness, you know, a little more normal than it has been in the past. Think about that a lot. I was just writing a thing where I said, you know, we're the first, we're kind of the first age group that's been open about this. So we're also the first age group of parents that are going to raise our kids being open about it. And that's daunting and scary. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how, and I'm learning from you and I thank you for it. I'm learning from you a lot about that, honestly. one-on-one without, even if nobody was in here, it would be hitting me hard because I think about it all the time. Now we got, we got two closing thoughts that I want to put out here. Uh, okay, Scott, very important question that I'm mad at myself. I didn't ask. You have lived in Italy. You have lived in Thailand, two lands known for noodle dishes, better noodles, Italy or Thailand. Oh, um, Italy. Wow. Okay. Controversial. Rumblings in the crowd. Rumblings. Some cheers. Some rumbles. Divisive. <laughs> and I do want to just say tonight, first of all, our time is up. We have hit zero on the clock. Caller, you have been so incredible. What a story that is dark and harsh, but at the same time, uplifting and in- inspirational and very, very real. And I thank you for sharing because I can't imagine it gets easier to share anytime you share this story. So thanks for trusting it with me and these people here tonight. And I do want to end. I think this will make you laugh. Allison, who may be the first comment you've left today, I'm, I'm not sure, said she's so understanding when her kids are teens, the only way for them to rebel will be to say they want to go to the University of Minnesota. <laughs> That's awesome and probably true. Caller, thank you so much. That was, that was um, 
I will not soon forget that one. Thank you so much. A round of applause for our caller, everybody. Caller, thanks again for being so open, being so honest, sharing so much. Very cool of you. Thank you to Andrea Quinn for taking the trip on the road with me. Thanks to Anita Flores for producing the show. Thanks to Marcus Hahn for engineering the show. Thank you to the almighty Shell Shag for the theme music. If you want to know more about me, including live dates of when you can come see Beautiful Anonymous, go to chrisgeff.com. There's tickets on sale right now for lots of shows. Might be coming to your town. Go check. If you want our swag, go to podswag.com. we got shirts and mugs and all that stuff. Check out Stitcher Premium if you want ad-free episodes of the show. Thanks for listening, everybody.